Welcome back to our Book Talk segment. Great to welcome today. We're going to talk about uh, something that uh, probably doesn't get as much press, uh, at least in the sports press, as it should, but we're going to try and rectify that right now. It's a great story. It's a sports story. It's also kind of a story of perseverance as well. Uh, The name of the book we're going to be talking about is called Get Up and Fight, the memoir of Rena Rusty Kanakogi, the mother of women's judo, and we're going to talk to her daughter, Jean Kanakogi, right now, and uh, it's a great story, and uh, she will tell it uh, to us right now. She joined us by telephone, and Jean, great to talk with you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Doug, and thanks so much for having me and allowing me to tell everybody about Rusty and her story and really just hit some points of the get up and fight so that everybody can relate to it and find their get up and fight. Yeah, I was glad that uh, the, the publicist sent me the, the, uh, the blurb on it because, uh, like I told you before we went on here, I, I grew up in New York and you know really followed sports a lot. And you kind of knew about the sports like judo or karate or you know, the martial arts that were at Madison Square Garden. And you talk about this in the book. Your mom was very instrumental in, in getting those uh, competitions there. But uh, sadly, I didn't know all, all the details about your mom. And, and she really was kind of the, uh, the pioneer for women's judo, wasn't she? She absolutely was. And you know what's really cool about this story? It's not, re- it's not just a sports story. Of course, you know, there's a lot of sports involved in the International Olympic Committee and the Olympics. But it's also a story of empowerment and showing people that you don't have to be born or have the gigantic education or be born into money to change the world. You can be someone who just has a desire, has a dream and a goal, and does anything and everything that she could to get the job done. And this story is also a love story because she went in the 1960s to Japan, no less, to go learn about judo, and we'll talk about that. Right. And she met this really special guy that I call dad. Yeah, just reading the book, uh, like you said, it, it's uh, obviously your mom uh, grew up uh, kind of in a tough part of Brooklyn, right? And, uh, you know, her early life was not easy, and uh, she somehow made her way into uh, into a judo uh, studio, I guess, right? That's kind of how, how she started, and you wouldn't think a woman would get into that sport, but it's really fascinating. I'll let you start from there. Well, thank you. Uh, she did grow up uh, in a very difficult and tumultuous childhood. Her mom was working in Coney Island, and she grew up in Coney Island. Her dad was pretty absentee or at the tracks or the bar. So she really had to spend for herself. And when she was uh, younger, her babysitters were, at the time, sadly, it was called the Freak Show. Right. And Milo the, Milo the Mule-Faced Boy and the Pinhead Sisters were her babysitters. So she learned some really early values uh, and, and started building her character from her babysitters who treated her like family. So she knew that how you treat somebody, how they make you feel is really, really important. Not what you look like, not what you can buy somebody because these were just regular people. Unfortunately, they were exploited back in the day, but she also knew you don't, you don't uh, judge a book by the cover. So you get to know someone and how they treat someone, but she did have a very rough, upbringing. She had a lot of uncontained energy and she liked to fight. So she was the leader of a female gang leader uh, of a female gang in Coney Island called the Apaches back in the 1950s. And back then a gang was a lot different than what we know now. Uh, You know, street gangs that get together and they fight each other in a schoolyard and then go to school on Monday and fix fix their hair and black eyes. So uh, (laughs) that, that was a heck of a lot different than what we know now. 
then she married early. She married young to her first husband, who happened to have had a lot of the same traits as her father. And uh, she ended up going to Al-Anon to support him going to his AA meetings. Uh, apparently, he went to the bar while she was at Al-Anon trying to support him. Yeah. So she made a, a friend over there, and they were commiserating. They were commiserating, but he looked like he worked out. And she just wanted to exercise and, and didn't know what to do with all of her energy. And she asked him, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I lift weights and I do judo. And she was like, well, what's judo? So he said, well, let me show you. And he came in on a judo throw, picked her up like she was a lightweight in a piece of paper. Now she was about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, probably close to 200 pounds, muscular. And, and lifting somebody of that size, just like she was a lightweight of, of, or a feather, she was impressed. <laughs> so she, fo- she followed him to his judo school and his judo class which at the time was at the uh, Prospect Park YMCA. So what was really ironic is she wanted to join the judo class that he was in at the YMCA, which is the Young Man's Christian Association, and she was a Jewish woman from Brooklyn. So that that was strike one against her. The next strike is they told her, I'm sorry, women are not allowed to enter this class. This is a male only class. Uh, and here's where a lot of her perseverance came through because she wouldn't go away. She insisted this was this was her purpose. She knew right then and there because she needed to be in that class. She knew something was brewing. Something something was stirring inside of her. They finally let her in the class and they made a deal. If you learn judo on one day, you have to turn around and teach it to the women the next day. So they were going to start opening it up for women because they had a female instructor and it was a great deal for her. So she got to exercise, she got to uh, teach and she, she was sort of being accepted into this male sport of judo. It's amazing. I I read through the book and, and like you said, it's uh, it's such a, kind of an intricate story as well, but the early part of her life, like you said, growing up in Brooklyn, as we talk, you know, a great place, but also a very tough place as well. My parents grew up there, so you really had to figure out kind of early on uh, how to survive it, and, and boy, your mom certainly had something uh, in her early on to, to, to show that perseverance, right? It's amazing. She did, and she would be very supportive. They had a camaraderie at her judo class, and she would be supportive. So in 1959, the guys were going to compete at the Utica YMCA championships. And this was a big deal. It was a state championships. So she would bring her judo uniform, which is called a judo gi, mm-hmm. just to go and the guys can use her as a warm up and, and, you know, just to exercise a little bit. And what they did is they did form practice, which they called Uchikomi. And uh, why not go support the guy? She brought her gi with her everywhere. Well, uh, as she was warming up, on the mat with some of her other teammates, she heard a yelp, and that was her teammate who injured himself uh, during his warm-up. So the coach said, hey, Rusty, you know what? I'm going to put you in on his place. And she was just all excited because when she first got to the tournament area, she thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I can compete? I mean, I train just as hard as these guys. I don't understand why, why there's no women's division, why I can't compete. And now the coach says, hey, I'm putting you in. So she was pretty androgynous looking, tall, athletic, short hair. But what she did is she went into the women's uh, bathroom because there was no locker room. 
and she taped down her breasts with an ace bandage just so she didn't call attention to herself of being a woman. Uh, so she was sort of disguised, you know, little Victor Victoria as a man. Sure. <laughs> and uh, the coach said, you know what? Don't call attention to yourself. Don't win. Just go for a draw for an even point. And she said, okay, I'll do my best. Because judo teaches you to do your best. Well, when she got into that um, on the mat in the fighting area, they battled for their grip. So it almost felt like a schoolyard fist fight, but this time it was a very big, strong man she was fighting. But Rusty wouldn't give up. And uh, in her head, she was just saying, I have to do this. I have to do this. And well, bam, she came in and threw him for a full point and won the match. Mm. Well, uh, first she was all excited. And then she said, "Uh oh, now what? Well, they all got their medals. They were all awarded their medals. And then the tournament director saw her as she was walking by the mat and I guess going to the car. And he just, in, a, in such an accusatory voice, asked her if she was a girl. Well, she said, yes, I'm a woman. And he was in, in, in an admonishing tone, told her, you're not allowed to have that medal. Women are not allowed. I'll need that back or your team will have to forfeit. Wow. I mean, how unfair was that? And she had to hold in her emotions. She had to pick her battles. And she also had to regulate what she was feeling because she wanted to put him through the mat. <laughs> but she, she gave the medal back uh, reluctantly, but she did not want her team to suffer. And at that time, she I remember we talked about it, and she told me that she felt that she did everything wrong just for being a woman. And, and that didn't resonate with her. So when she handed this tournament director back the medal, she proclaimed that no woman will ever suffer such an indignity ever again. And she was going to change that. She didn't know how, but she said that was her mission. She now knew what she had to do. And it kind of led, uh, and you got some great stories in the book. We'll let, we'll let the audience uh, kind of you know, hopefully get the book and read that. But it kind of led a little bit later on to her working with Billie Jean King on uh, on Title IX, right? It did. Well, she met Billie Jean at uh, one of the Women's Sports Foundation lunches. And she walked right up to her. And she said, Billie Jean, I'm Rusty. Rusty Kanakogi from Judo. There is a ton of discrimination going on in our sport, and I see that the Women's Sports Foundation is doing great work. We've got work to do. And Billy said, bring it. Let's do this. And she explained about the, the work on Title IX that she and all of these other trailblazing uh, pioneers were working on. So Rusty teamed up with the Women's Sports Foundation and Billy Jean and proceeded to go to Capitol Hill, fight for equality. All the while, Rusty was looking for equality for women's judo. She needed women's judo to be put on the map. In order for women's judo to become an Olympic sport, the prerequisite was you had to have a world championship with at least 125 competitors from, I think, 27 or 25 different countries or something of the sort. And Rusty said to these misogynist naysayers at the time in the judo world, yeah, well, go ahead, Rusty. You want to have a world championship. You just go right ahead. And she reverted back to her schoolyard days where 
they were egging her on and she said, yeah, well, fine. I will hold a world championships. And they asked her where, and she said, I'll do it at Madison square garden. <laughs> she couldn't pull those words back in. You know, we came from, uh, you know, we're from Brooklyn, so it's not like we could just write a check and rent out Madison square garden. And Rusty announced to our judo school, Hey, we're holding world championships. And they all just looked at her like, okay, what do we do? You know, I think you have $140 in the bank, Rusty. How's this going to happen? <laughs> she said, it'll happen because we need to be in the Olympics and this is necessary. And when Rusty said something needed to be done, whether growing up, it was cleaning my room or go win a match or <laughs> go hit a home run playing softball. You don't question it. You just, do it. So we all chipped in our time and effort. And I was a kid, I was like 13, 14 years old, and did every part we could. And you know what, the world championships, the first women's world judo championship had its 40th anniversary on the first uh, last November for the first release of the first edition of Get Up and Fight. Oh, that's great. Yeah, just, just a story you should tell in the book about Dealing with just the, the garden itself, you know, the people involved with the garden just to get it and, uh, and the money and all that. It's not easy or wasn't easy, but, uh, but she kept going. Even, even if they didn't true. have the money in the bank at the time, right? I mean, she had to have a little faith there that the money would come in, and it did. It did, and I, and I think that speaks a lot to the whole New York, Brooklyn wheeling and dealing. And, and really, all of these books on business, on negotiating and strategizing, you know what? All you need to do is pick up this book and read about how Rusty did it with $140 in the bank and a dream. Mm. So, And given these women that the opportunity to weigh in on the same scales as Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, people are still talking about this. This may have been the biggest event for some people in their entire life. Yeah. I was going to say before, your mom really is kind of like the Jackie Robinson of of judo, particularly, and not just judo, women's sports in a sense, because it was way before Title IX and the women's tennis tour. That was about 1970, 71, before Billie Jean King. So your mom was doing this way before that. She was. And it's interesting that you mentioned Jackie Robinson, another Brooklynite, because uh, there's Jackie Robinson Parkway in Brooklyn, right. which is formerly the Interboro Parkway. And in Brooklyn on West 17th and Surf Avenue in Coney Island, there is a street co-named Rena Rusty Kanakogi Way yeah. because Rusty always got her way. That's right. <laughs> you, you talk, uh, we're just talking about the, the, the Trudeau Championship, the first one at the Garden. Uh, you had a nice little... A story in there about the the woman sports reporter who did a story on your mom. I actually worked with her. She worked at a station here in Sarasota for a few years, uh, a long time ago. Sandy Dietz. I don't know if you remember her or not, but uh, she. I guess she did the first story on your mom for local sports in New York, right? She did. And matter of fact, I found the old video clip of her teaching Sandy how to do a judo throw. I think that was up in the gym in Manhattan. Oh, really? And she said. And she told Sandy, before you learn how to throw someone, you need to learn how to fall. So Sandy <laughs> took some, some judo flying lessons. But, you know, she had a full appreciation for it because Rusty needed women's judo to get into the Olympics. And whoever believed in her mission and her cause was recruited by Rusty because they just believed in her so much. Uh, she, Rusty took on the International Olympic Committee. She teamed up with the American Civil Liberties Union and sued, and she won. Women's judo finally 
got admitted into the Olympics in 1988 as an exhibition sport. Right. And Rusty, with her three-woman team, Rusty was the Olympic coach. The first time women's judo was admitted into the Olympics, she proudly walked in there, and that was her gold medal. She won. Yeah, great, great story about that. And, and just again, for people that are not aware, and I wasn't aware either, either, either about the, the differences, judo is not like karate. There's differences, right? There is. Judo is, uh, and all martial arts are fantastic. So if you have an opportunity to learn any one of them, that's great. But judo is a full contact, and it, it has throws, chokes, arm locks, and pins. So this way you know how to fight and handle yourself from standing up to falling down, learning the proper way to fall, and then fighting on the ground. So it, it incorporates everything. And when I say chokes and arm locks, you don't just throw a choke arbitrarily and, and see what happens. I mean, it's controlled and, and you are able to tap out or same thing with an arm lock. You're able to tap out. So um, something that I wasn't really taught growing up when I was competing, Rusty would have me just fight through everything. <laughs> uh, and, and Rusty was my coach. Aside from my mom, she was my coach and my mentor, my best friend. And uh, it, it would be a very interesting dichotomy where as a mother, she would give me a big plate of food. And then as my coach, with the other hand, take it away and say, yeah. what are you nuts? You can't, eat, you can't eat that. You have to go to train. You have to go to work out. <laughs> and again, the book, like you said, is not only uh, a story of perseverance, but the love story of, of your mom meeting your, your father. I mean, uh, a Japanese father and a Jewish uh, mother, that's an unusual, at least back then, uh, pairing. It, it is very unusual. So in 1962, she went to Japan to go learn judo, which was the Mecca. It was the place to learn uh, judo because that's where judo was born. And she went there and she started training in the woman's side of the dojo, which is the judo school. But she wanted more. She wanted the com combativity. She wanted the fight. So they let her in after, again, being so persistent. And they let her in on the men's side. Well, she embodied that mantra of fall down seven, get up eight, because they didn't care. She was a woman. She was just uh, another body to learn judo and practice. And, and it is what it is. And all the while, she was making some friends and gaining the respect of the people that were there. Uh, one particular man went home at the, and visited his dad. And his dad said, hey, I saw that woman on TV at the Kodakon. She's very big and strong. Do you know her? And uh, he said, yes. He said, well, you should go marry her because she'll give you big, strong babies. <laughs> so my father came, my father came back uh, to the Kodakon to train. And, and, you know, they were friends originally. Yeah. So he courted her and he had the opportunity to teach judo anywhere in the world. When Rusty left Japan, he insisted he had to find her because that was his person. So uh, I even recently found an old letter he wrote her that she had stuffed between some note pages in a book. So it was really, really romantic how back then there were no cell phones or internet. He had to find her oh, through sure. the judo circuit. Yeah. And what's really cool is uh, he is the direct descendant of, the, of a samurai in Kumamoto, Japan. And in our cave, the Kanakogi clan had a cave. In that cave, the Book of Five Rings Miyamoto Musashi wrote the Book of Five Rings in our family cave. Oh, wow. That's great. So there's a lot of history of samurai lineage uh, that 
came to together with, I'd say, Jew, Brooklyn Jewish samurai lineage. Sure. <laughs> well, you got another book there on your dad. <laughs> Maybe you're working on that now. I don't know, but that you know, make another great book. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I, I would call I would call it probably the Samsonite luggage samurai because if you think about years ago that commercial with a oh sure I remember that out. yeah that yep that's my dad that's my dad that's my dad beating up the luggage and and a great marriage from what you know reading through the book I mean obviously they were together a long time right they were they were best of friends yeah, he right. is what she called a saint and, and to this day we still call him a saint he's so personable and uh, just so insightful he's he gives the best advice and just a great husband and a great father yeah. And your mom sadly passed away how long ago now? She passed away in 2009. 2009, yeah. Uh, from, right. from multiple myeloma. Right. But, you know, her spirit was, so, was such an indomitable spirit that you still feel her presence. You still feel her here. And yeah. what's really cool is the way we wrote this book, I was able to capture her voice telling her story. So when you read this book, it's actually Rusty telling you her story. I felt that. I mean, uh, it, it's designed in a way like short chapters and kind of, she kind of moves around uh, very quickly. I guess that's kind of uh, emblematic of her energy, right? I mean, just very energetic woman. And I got that feeling that she was talking to me. That was well done. Thank you. Yes. And it was very, yeah, it was done on purpose because a lot of times she would work with writers that would just make it too fluffy. And she, she would exclaim, look, I'm not Cinderella, I'm rusty. <laughs> so either we keep it in my voice or we don't. And it was very difficult because uh, I had no choice but to self-publish because finding a writer that understood Kochigari and the word Meshugana in the same yeah, sentence right. <laughs> was just so, so difficult. I know what it means. I'm not Jewish, but I heard it enough. My parents heard it. <laughs> well, they knew it. <laughs> it's also a New York thing. It's a good word. It's a great word. <laughs> yes, yes. And just for the audience, too, uh, you've uh, had a great career yourself, not only in judo, but uh, your career as a, as a special agent for the government. So you've had an interesting life. Still going. Yes, I'm I, I still, still, still going strong. I'm still a special agent for the government, and I uh, hold a fifth-degree black belt. I'm a former member of the U.S. judo team, so I got to travel the world and place a lot of uh, medals internationally. Um, and then I followed with school, and I have a Ph.D. in psychology. Mm -hmm. So I use that to volunteer as the director of mental health and peer support for the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association because mental health is so important and resiliency, uh, as told in this book, and resilient training is so important right. because overall mental health and wellness, I mean, that's, that's important in order sure. to thrive. Name of the book is Get Up and Fight, the memoir of Rena Rusty Kanakogi, the mother of women's judo. We've been talking with her daughter today, Jean Kanakogi. And uh, uh, Jean, give out the website. I know you have that, or where other places they can get the book. Sure, you can get the book at www.rustykanakogi.com, or you can get it on Amazon. So it's electronic, and you can get the hardcover. If you want a signed copy, come to our website. Great. We'll also put a, a link up as well on our website. But, Gene, real pleasure talking to you. I know we could do uh, you know a couple hours on you, Mom. Hopefully we'll, we'll do it again down the road, but we want to give the audience just kind of a, a taste of it. And not only, like we said, uh, just a sports book, but a, a love story, a, a perseverance book, a business book, and uh, just kind of a, uh, a inspirational book as well. So you got all that into one. That's great. 
Well, thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate that. And thank you, audience, for listening. And if you ever find that video on Sandy, I'd love to see that if you put it up on your website sometime. That'd be great. Yeah, she, she worked with us briefly at the radio station down here, and uh, I never saw any of her work when I was up there, so I'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah, actually, I could probably either send it to you, or if you're still in touch with her, I would love to get yeah, well, I, I was her. looking her up recently, and sadly, she passed away about five years ago. I, I had not oh, heard so about sorry. her in a while. Yeah, so, but uh, if you have anything, it'd just be as of, you know, a local interest, but uh, she was one of the early women yep. sports reporters, so that's great. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll get I'll get you a copy of that video. I'll, I'll either email it or Dropbox it to you. Gene, pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us. We'll do it again. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.